Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Greet some people around you. Welcome those joining us online and also in the overflow. If you're in the overflow right now, slap somebody's hand, give them a chest bump, do something, do something. We are making room and making ready for God to move. This is a series that we started a a couple years ago because we do believe that as we set aside the first of our year, we're giving God our our, our first. We give God the first of our morning. We give God the first of our week on Sunday, but we also believe in giving God the first of our year and saying, God, we want you to move. Like we want your will to be done in and through our our lives. And I just kind of believe God is gearing us up in 2024, not for us to gather and amuse an audience, but for us to gather and assemble an army. Are you with me? For what he wants to do in and through your your life, through your family, through this church, in our, our city, because what started as a spark with Jesus became a wildfire of a movement called the church. And it has just, just spread. And now the baton, I believe, is in our hands. The question is, what are you gonna do with it? We're gonna pass it on. Are we gonna continue to to run hard? And so this two week short series really helps us to set the stage for what God wants to do through this church in 2024. First in our hearts and then in our homes, because I don't know if you realize this, but God actually has a divine order for how he moves. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, it says that we are to go to Jerusalem and then Samaria and then to the ends of the world. And so if God's gonna make a difference in your life, like it's, and in the world around you, it starts with you. It starts in your home, it bleeds into your family, it bleeds into your, your work, bleeds into your areas of influence. And so that's why we're setting apart the first of our year for God to do something in our hearts first. That's why next week we're starting a week of prayer and fasting. Seven days, it's gonna be a fast fast. Come on somebody, you can do seven days, but we're kicking it off with a worship night. Uh, next Sunday night, and it is going to be so fire. I'm telling you right now, it's gonna be awesome. You are not gonna wanna miss it. We're gonna just spend some some great time together worshiping and praying. But the starting point, the starting point is our heart. A changed world begins with a changed you, and a changed you begins with a changed heart. And here's what I believe. If we did not think God could change a heart, what are we doing? Why even waste the time? Why even bother, right? But we believe wholeheartedly God can change your heart. God can move in and through your your life. And how many of you know there are things that are attacking your heart? We know that there are physical things that attack our hearts, right? That create restriction of of blood flow or, you know, plaque buildup, you know, in our medical things. I'm not even gonna bother even pretending that I know but there are spiritual things that cause blockage too. Spiritual things that cause blockage from the the life-giving flow of God in and through our our life. And the way that God has has moved in people's life is always an inside-out proposition. I mean, it begins with the inside work that God wants to do in our life. So let's begin today where God begins, with our heart. And what I, I wanna do is I wanna give you four ways that we attack our hearts. We're not waiting for a heart attack. We're going to do the attacking. We're going to go on the offensive this year. Are you with me? Pray one more time. Heavenly Father, 
Speak to us through your word. It is alive. It is active. We need your spirit to, to make it come alive. After all, that's what he does. He illuminates the word. He leads us into all truth and wisdom and understanding. And we, we fully are aware that this is a silly thing that we do, even a dangerous thing, if you are not in charge of it. And so, God, we want you to be in charge. Help us to get out of the way so that we can hear from you. It's in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Thank you, band. Thank you, guys. Uh, is anybody willing to admit that you suffer from a little bit of road rage? Anybody willing to admit that today? Some of you are like, I don't suffer from it. I love my road rage. That's fine. I'm going to share with you a story, but our mutual agreement this morning is that you will not judge me when I share this story with you, okay? That you are going to PF me. You're going to Planet Fitness me. This is the judgment-free zone right now is what I'm saying, all right? Because I am not a road rage guy. I'm not an angry driver. What I am is an impatient driver. Anybody else? Like, I get impatient. Like, I just want to go. I believe we could learn a lesson or two from our Latino neighbors on what our, our horns are actually for. Like, that is there for a reason. Let's get going, people. Let's use that horn and let's move. However, I'm not an angry driver, but I have flipped somebody off one time. Now, again, judgment-free. That's our understanding. This is back in college. I was in Tampa, Florida, doing a semester there, and I was driving from Clearwater to, Saint, uh, to Tampa across the Causeway, Causeway Bridge thing. And uh, I'm in a, in a 1984 Mazda 323 hatchback. Come on, somebody, that thing is fire. And I'm going down the, the causeway, and I get over into the left lane to pass somebody, and as soon as I start to get over, this guy in a crotch rocket, rocket is just flying by. He's going like 600 miles an hour. And so I course correct, and I just pull back into the right lane. Crisis averted, right? He might have had to, you know, do a little one of these just for a second. And so as he's going by, I give him the universal Dude, my bad, bro. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, my bad, my fault, that's on me. I didn't see you coming. You were going 600 miles an hour. Like, my bad. And so I, he comes by, he throttles it because it's not every day you get to pass a Mazda 323 on the causeway, so I understand how cool that is. And he gives me the most passionate and pronounced middle finger I've ever seen. I can picture it in my mind right now. And so I return a very timid, shy kind of middle finger back, all right? Don't judge me, I'm just saying. And so he passes by, and once you know it, once we get off the causeway, we get to a traffic light, and who do I pull up right next to? The dude on the crotch rocket. And honestly, at this point, I feel a little bit bad about what I did, and so I roll down my window, like I'm still hoping to kind of WWJD this dude and kind of make things right, and so I say, hey man, my bad. You know, I didn't see you coming by. You know, I'm sorry for that. You know, don't let this ruin your day. You know, can we just get on with things? Thinking we were going to have an adult conversation, I could not have been more wrong because he starts just cussing at me, yelling, saying words that I cannot say in church. So I don't know what it is about driving that causes people to say the meanest, nastiest things that you would not say in any other context, all because I had to have him do this, you know, for a second. That was it. That was it. And so, like, I can be quick sometimes with, with my words for better and for worse. And so I look at him after he's cussing me out, and I'm like, hey, bro, could it be that you hated your life before this moment, and that's what this is really all about? 
And I promise you, he looked straight ahead, and I saw a tear start to form in his eye. No, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. But he just took off, and I heard God speak to me and say, are you happy now? Are you happy now that you did that, that you, you traded middle fingers, and then you called this, this guy out? Do you feel better about yourself? And I don't tell you that story to show you how I got him, although got him, just saying. I tell you that because it's moments like this that tend to reveal what's actually in our hearts, is it not? When your back is up against a wall, when there is pressure, when there is pain in your life, when there is conflict or confrontation, oftentimes what's inside of you comes out. What does the Bible say? Out of the overflow of the the heart, the mouth speaks. And so it tends to reveal what's in our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, we are to guard our heart. Now, that verse has typically been used in, like, Christian dating circles to say, hey, you need to watch yourself against, you know, the jerks, you know, who, who you might date or, or guard your heart against those who would abuse it. And while that's true, what about guarding our hearts against anger? What about guarding our hearts against uh, comparison or guarding our hearts against doubt or resentment or fear or, or worry? What about those things? Because those things will kill you far faster than a breakup will. Just saying. He says, guard your heart above all else. Why? Because everything you do, somebody say everything. Everything you do flows from it. Everything, wow. So that is the starting point. The most valuable thing that you and I have is our hearts. And I believe there is no limit to what God can do through a healthy heart, one that beats for him and one that belongs to him. And so I wanna give us Four ways that we strike first, that we attack our hearts before we have a heart attack. And I'm gonna ask you guys, it's the beginning of the year. If you're not a note taker, like make this your year. Let's start writing this stuff down. Let's really lean into what God has for us. And so the first thing I want you to write down is this. You need to despise what destroys you. Despise it. You have to despise the thing that's causing you damage. And I know that might not sound very pastoral, or very spiritual, but I promise you it's biblical, that it's okay to despise certain things. Psalm 119 says this, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. So it's not the person that they hate, right? It's the the double-mindedness. And Amos, uh, the prophet, says this. He says, I hate all your show. I hate the things that you're doing. He's not hating the person, but he's hating some of the things that we do. So it's okay. There is a okay kind of hate. It's okay to hate injustice, It's okay to hate evil. It's really okay to hate all the ways that the enemy is holding you back in life and keeping you you stuck. And so this is more than at the beginning of the year, yeah, you know, I just really don't like certain things about myself or I wish things were different and so I might try harder. No, this is saying you have to hate the things that are destroying you. You have to despise what is is holding you, you back. And so the night before Jesus was crucified, He has this this final meal. You've heard this before. It's the the Last Supper where he's gathered together his his closest friends, the disciples. And in this meal, at this meal, he has this sobering conversation and moment with Peter. Where Peter, he warns him, he says, hey, Peter, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter, I love Peter. Peter is kind of like a loose cannon. He pushes back and says, no way. Not me. I'll never do that. I'm with you. Ride or die, Jesus. Let's go. Now, you and I have the benefit of hindsight, so we know how the story breaks down, but Jesus gets arrested. 
Peter follows from a distance and he ends up denying Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And perhaps you've heard this story, but the moment that he realizes what happened in Mark 14, 72, it says this, suddenly, look at it with me, Jesus's words flashed through Peter's mind. And he remembered the conversation, said before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he goes on to say this, he broke down and he wept. This was the darkest night of, of his life. But here's what's crazy. The gospel of Mark is actually Peter's gospel. I don't know if you realize that. There is good reason to believe, and most scholars suggest that, that, that Mark is the scribe. Peter is the storyteller. Because Peter didn't know how to read or to write, and so he had this younger guy, Mark, go with him, and Peter was, was telling him the story, and Mark's just writing it down, and then he takes all the credit for it. Typical millennial, right? Just taking all the credit. I'm just kidding. Younger guy. But he takes all the, the credit for it. And so don't miss this. This is why this is important. This is Peter's story. This is Peter talking about Jesus from his perspective. And this is what he says about himself. He says, I broke down and I wept. I cried. This was the darkest night of Peter's life. The, the smell of failure, the hangover of betrayal. And I wonder if it wasn't his disgust and utter disgust for that night that ignited a passion in his heart to spend the rest of his life telling as many people as he could who fail about the God who loves them even in their worst. Are you with me? Like it was this, this disgust that he had for that night. And can I tell you, a healthy disdain for something in your life is a great motivator for change. A healthy disgust for that thing that is holding you back, that addiction that is keeping you stuck, that sin pattern that has you locked up, a healthy disdain is a great motivator for change. Like for me, I love ice cream. I love it. I love it so much, but it makes me so tired. Shout out to Nate Bargatze, reference number one. It's gonna be a good day. If you know, you know. But I love ice cream, and specifically mint chocolate chip ice cream, with white ice cream. Don't color my ice cream green. That's just weird. I don't need that, right? Just give it to me natural. Let's go. However, I, I, I love it, and I love, I love what, it, what it does for me. It has been there for me on nights when nobody else has. It calls to me from my freezer at 10 p.m. It used to almost every single night, so I, I love what it does for me. However, I discovered what cream and sugar does to me. Are you with me? And so I had to despise what it was doing to me. All that to say, if you want to see healthy change in your life, you have to hate the hangover more than you love the high. You have to hate what it's doing to you. You have to hate what it's making you, you feel like. Some of you, you are not living free simply because you are tolerating sin. You are tolerating something. You are managing it. You are, are coping with it. No, you got to get to that place where you're like, I hate what it's doing to me. I hate the way it's hurting me. I hate and despise how it's destroying me. And I don't know what it is for you. Some of you, it might be a victim mindset that is holding you back. And, and it feels good, you know, right? Feeling sorry for yourself. Feels good in the moment. Or it could be complaining. 
Like some of you, it, complaining tastes like a, a bowl of ice cream. Going down, it feels good. In a moment, like when somebody, you know, uh, asks you how, how's it going and you seize the opportunity to unload on them and tell them all the, the hurts and the, the pain that you have and, you know, all recount everything in 2023 and he did this and, and she did that. Like it feels good in the moment to do that, but can I tell you something? Next time they see you, they will go the other way. Like some of that tastes good in the moment more than you, you love the taste of, of anger. You have to hate and despise what it's doing to your marriage. More than you love the, the taste of, of your big opinions in life, you have to despise the way it's making your circle of friends very small. More than you love spending money, you have to despise the way it makes you feel. At the, end of, in, at the end of the month, not wondering where the money's going to come from, knowing that you had plenty to begin with, more than you love the warm blanket of a victim mentality, you have to despise the way that is limiting your life. Are you with me? You have to despise what is destroying your heart because those things might get you high for a minute. But I'm telling you, uh, they will hold you back for months. And for some of you, you know this to be true even longer than that. Despise what's destroying you. I wonder if that's the reason, uh, as painful as it was in Luke chapter 15, that the prodigal father allowed his son to get to the rock bottom pig pen in his life so that when he returned home, he was so disgusted with himself that he would say, I never want to leave again. I never want to go back to that again. For some of you, you need to get to that place where you're like, I'm never going back to that addiction again. I'm never going to, to rehab again. I'm never going through withdrawals again. I never want to go back to that season of my life where I was running and I was hiding and I was lying and I was cheating. I despise what is destroying me. Are you guys with me? Are you awake today? We have to get to that place where we are just vigilant against those things that would destroy our hearts. And I'm speculating a bit, but I wonder if there wasn't a moment when Peter was talking out loud and, and reliving this night with Mark, as Mark is, is writing it down in chapter 14, I bet there was a moment Peter stopped and said, man, I hated, I hated that self-inflicted condemnation that, 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 that I brought on by that night so much. I'm so disgusted by it that, Mark, you better make sure that you write this down and you put this in the, the Bible. Because I want people to know for generations to come that, that, about my failure so that they would know that there is no way that you can outsend God's grace. There is no place you can go to run from, from God's love for your life. So you better make sure that you write it in there because I despised what it did to me. Despise what's destroying you. So we gotta attack our hearts before they attack us because they are the wellspring of life. And everything we do flows from it. So here's the second attack, write it down. You have to search what's on the inside. Search what's inside of you. Let's rewind the clock a few hours in the Last Supper. Jesus is now speaking with a tone of urgency to his disciples because he knows that these will be his final words, some of his final words that he shares with these guys. In fact, he's told them before over and over, hey, guys, we're gonna go to Jerusalem. I'm gonna be put on trial and be crucified, dead, buried, but I'm coming back to life. And so he's telling them once again about all that. And in the middle of these final words, this happens, Luke 22, 24, a dispute arose among them, them being the disciples, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. I, I read that as like, what? Jesus is, is saying some of his final words to his friends, and they start having a debate about which of them is the goat. Who's the greatest of all time? 
I'm like, did I, I miss something here? I don't know about you, but I can get so surprised sometimes at what's inside the human heart. However, put me in traffic, have a dude flip me off or give me a, a, a headache or, or let me be hangry and I can get surprised at what's in my heart as well. In Psalm 139, it says this. It says, search me, O God. Search me. Search what's inside of me. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. In other words, some of us, we need to trade in our microscope for a mirror. We need to trade in our our, our microscope so that we can see what is going on inside of us. Of our heart, it was Pastor Lencioni, I think. He's a leadership guy. Or it might have been Andy Stanley, a pastor, who said this. You need to ask this question. Great question. What's it like to be on the other side of me? And that's a great question. What's it like to be on the other side of me? We're talking about how there's no limit to what God can do in and through a, a heart that is changed. And we understand that it starts with us, right? It starts with the, the man or woman in the mirror. Shout out to Michael Jackson, you know, for that one. So it starts with us. So what's it like to be on the other side of, of me? And some of you might say, well, I don't need to know. I know I'm a good friend. I know what it's like. I'm a, I'm a good friend. How do you know? Have you ever been friends with you? How would you know you're a good friend? Or, or you might say, because I'm great at you know, having a conversation. Well, how would you know? Have you ever sat across the table from you and had a cup of coffee and a conversation with you? Like, how do you know you don't, you don't spit when you talk? How, how do you know? that you don't you know, talk about yourself too much. No joke, I was, uh, I was having lunch with a guy, this was years ago, having a conversation, and he was one of those guys that just kind of like talked and chewed with his mouth open the whole time, just, just kind of going at it. And I'm not even kidding, a piece of chicken flew out of his mouth about this big and landed right here on my lip. <laughs> True story, and I was like, like, I was done. I mean, I was done. I was like, I couldn't even keep it together. I'm like, bro. But how do you know what it's like to be on the other side of you? You've never been on the other side of you. How do you know if you're great at having a, how would you, like, I'm a great boss. Okay, how do you know? Here's how you know. You put a microphone in the break room, and they'll tell you real quick if you are a good boss or not. Search me. Search me, oh God. Test me. Know my, my heart. Help me see what I can't see. Help me see what it's like to be on the other side of me. Search, search what's inside. And while you're at it, here's a, a side note to that. You should monitor your motives as well. Because God is way more concerned about why you do what you do than what you do. What are your, your motives for what you do? Search, search those things out and destroy them. If it's comparison, then you gotta search it. God, do I have a problem with comparison? Like, no, no, my heart, God, because I'm telling you, envy is straight poison to your heart. Bitterness, is bitterness inside of you? Because bitterness is, is like a, a, a drug that hardens your heart more and more with each passing year. If you hold on to, to bitterness, I'm just telling you, and a lot of people hold on to bitterness because just like likes on Instagram create this hit of dopamine, in your body, it has been scientifically proven that holding on to bitterness and resentment does the same thing. Like, and when you hold on to it, yeah, I'm gonna stay mad, I'm gonna stay resentful, you know, at that person, it, it produces dopamine as well, which is why forgiveness feels a lot like withdrawals because you miss the buzz of being bitter and staying bitter, you know, at that person. And I know it kind of feels like when I said forgiveness, I said the real 
Christian F word, but here's what I know about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not excusing. Forgiveness is not necessarily trusting again. Can I tell you something? Forgiveness is freedom. I promise you, it is, it's freedom. When someone hurts you, someone wrongs you, or the world is cruel to you, or, or the world, you know, is unfair, here's, here's kind of what I think. It's almost like you are on the, the, the table in the operating room, and your heart is open, your chest is exposed, right? And by the way, you know what we call that? A broken vessel. And you know what God loves to do and use? Broken vessels, <laughs> In that moment, though, the question is, what's going to be the treatment plan for your life? Are you going to continue to stay bitter, or are you going to forgive? Like, you have a choice. So is it, search me, oh God, is there unforgiveness in my life? And I know what I'm asking, and I know how hard it is to forgive. I know the pain is real, and God is not asking you or any of us to be happy about the hurt that's caused in our life because he counts your tears. The Bible says that he, he keeps your tears in a jar. However, if you are willing, there is an opportunity called open heart surgery for you. When it comes to forgiveness, the copay is pain, but trust me, the payoff is more freedom than you have ever experienced in your life when you forgive and you let it go. Because people can bruise you, the world can hurt you, but a heart that knows how to forgive, I'm telling you, is untouchable. It's untouchable. In fact, it's the closest thing to a superpower you and I can have. It's being invincible, is forgiveness. So search what's inside of you. Test your heart. See if there are any anxious ways in you. Search what's inside. Here's number three. Ready for it? Write this down. You have to reframe what you revere. So back to this story. The disciples in the middle of this heated debate about who's the greatest, right? Just great minds battling it out. Who's the greatest? And this happens in John 13, starting in verse three. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. So he's like, I have all the power. I have all the authority. That he had come from God, that he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around him, around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, almost as if to say, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. Drying them with the towel that was around him. So I want you to kind of get yourself into the, this moment of what's happening. These knuckleheads are arguing over who's the best, who's the greatest in the room, Right, and, and a lot of times we make fun of these guys and we're, we're like, man, these guys are so silly. They, they don't figure things out and they're, they're slow. But can I tell you something? These guys are us because we do the same thing. Bickering about things that don't matter, bickering about things that have no, no eternal you know, impact. And what happens in that moment? Jesus gets up quietly. I can imagine they're arguing about who's the greatest. Gets up, moves to the side, takes off his outer clothing and, and wraps a towel around his waist, grabs a, a basin, fills it up with water, gets down on a dirty ground, kneels down and starts washing these dirty feet. And I can imagine in this moment, like one by one, they start to understand what's happening. Can I ask you something? Do you think there was any question in that moment who the greatest was? And if you're not sure, it's the guy with the towel on the ground washing feet. Jesus is telling these guys, hey guys, I need you to reframe what you revere. I need you to uh, give you a new definition of what greatness is. Because like, the world thinks greatness is title, is position, it's, it's being a leader, it's being this or that. He's saying, but I'm telling you, the greatest 
is the person who serves. The greatest is the one who had laid down their life. And I get so tired of people, and I hear it from other churches sometimes, that would say things like, well, you know, it's, thanks for leading this church. You're a great leader, 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 this. I'm telling you, like, the greatest of leaders is the one who serves. You want to be good at leading? Be a servant. You want to lead your family? Don't lead your family. Serve your family. You want to lead in your workplace? Serve in your workplace. Serve one another. That's what Jesus is modeling for us. We need to reframe what we revere. Heaven does not celebrate what we tend to elevate. Like people applaud fame. Heaven applauds your fruit, the way you live. Like people, people want to, to applaud platform. God applauds the, the process. He's way more concerned about who you are becoming. We get so uh, you know, caught up in self-absorption. God looks at our substance, what is on the inside of us. That's what he said in 1 Samuel 16 when they were choosing the second king of, of Israel. If you know the story, the prophet went to the, the house of, of, of Jesse and he sees these, these guys and lines them up. He's like, nope, nope, nope. That's not, that's not who it is because the world, they look at the size. The world looks at the strength. The world looks at the build. But what does it say? The Lord does not look at these things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? Say that word out loud. The heart. God would way rather you have integrity than have influence, than have platform, than have position. Because to an immature, impure heart, influence can be a drug that can get you high. Because we tend to desire influence for just the sake of having it. Because we applaud power, we applaud platform. And by the way, we are really good at pretending we don't. The, with the inception of the humble brag. Is that not true? Oh, no, thank you, thank you, thank you. No, no. Like, we're really good at pretending that's not what we applaud. But in God's economy, he says, you work on integrity, let me take care of influence. You work on character, and I'll give you influence because he is searching the world for hearts who don't care who gets the credit. And I'm telling you, a church that doesn't care who gets the credit, that's the kind of church that can make a difference. A person who doesn't care who gets the credit, that's somebody I want to follow. That's somebody who is a servant. Are you with me? We need to reframe those things that we revere. Here's the last one I want to give you. We're going to attack our heart before it attacks us. Number four, rest in his righteousness. You got to rest in his righteousness, in his grace. Because the same grace that, that saved you is the same grace that will sustain you. And sometimes we forget that. We think that, all right, his grace saved me. I'm good. Now, I don't know about you, but I need his grace every single day. When Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, he said, hey, pray like this. You know, give us today our daily bread. I need that every single day. I need God's grace every single day. And some people forget. Like, I, you know, the same grace that got me here. Like, I need that to keep me here. And so Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, and his tone changes. In this moment, he drops a, a heavy bomb on them, and he's speaking about Judas, and he says this, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me. Can you imagine this scene? Like, they're all talking, and Jesus is washing feet, and then he says, hey, one of you in this room, you're going to betray me. And this is what it says in John 13. It says his disciples, upon hearing this, they stared at one another at a loss to know which one he meant, right? So they're all rattled by this, except, all of them except for one. Verse 23, one of them, 
the disciple, look at this, I love this, whom Jesus loved. By the way, that's John. By the way, that's the author of what we're reading. He's talking about himself, saying, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I, I read that and I think, that's kind of a baller move, John. Like, I like that about John. He's like, I'm the guy that he loves, I just know. He says this, John was reclining next to Jesus and Simon Peter motioned to his disciple, uh, to this disciple, John, and he said, hey, John, ask him who he means. Like, who is it? Who's he talking about? And then it kind of gets a little bit weird. It says, leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Another translation says, John is resting his head on the chest of Jesus. So in light of a, a pretty, pretty heavy kind of bomb that Jesus dropped about somebody going to betray them, Peter, Peter goes into panic mode. Peter starts problem solving. Who's it gonna be? Which one, which one is it? And John, the self-proclaimed favorite, is resting his head on Jesus's chest. He's like, really, John, is now the time to do this? But years later, that same John would write this in 1 John 3, 19. He said, this is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. John knew how to do this. Rest in his, his presence. And for some of you in this room, and I include myself in this, the holiest thing you can do for your heart to start this year is to rest, is to take a nap. Come on, somebody. To rest, have a good night's sleep, because when you do and you set things aside, and this is really a little bit of why we're gonna go into prayer and fasting in a week, is because when you decide you're gonna take a rest, you know what you'll discover? The world keeps on spinning, even when you are not available to it 24-7. Has anyone ever discovered that? Like maybe you had to take a forced break or whatever and, and you, you had to put your phone down or not get to emails or whatever and you pick it up a week later and guess what? Same old stuff, same old issues, same old problem. It keeps moving. So take a, a rest. And I know the pushback is, well, God, what about this or, or what about that? I don't know if I, can, if I can rest. I think God would go, hey, dummy. Like, I'm, I'm the God who never sleeps and never slumbers. I'm the God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm the God who's already in tomorrow, so you don't have to worry about tomorrow. I'm the God who does not let things fall through the cracks. I'm the God who, that doesn't happen on my, my watch. And so I think when we rest, it's actually worship to God. And the reason is because it honors a God who doesn't rest. It's saying, God, I trust you. I trust you enough that I can just, I can rest in you. Rest in your righteousness. Rest in your, your goodness. Because how many of you know God can do a lot of good things while you're sleeping? Remember the garden? He caused Adam to fall asleep, and then, then he created woman. So take a nap, bro, is all I'm saying. God can do something good when we rest. And John is literally and spiritually resting on Jesus, resting on grace because grace is a person and he's resting in his grace and his righteousness. Peter is restless, problem solving. Who is it? Tell me who it is. Is it Andrew? Is it, is it Bart? I knew Bart was shifty. I knew his eyes, you know, there's something off about, about Bart. Tell me who it is. And in this, we see Peter is trying to prove himself. Peter is doing and John is just being. In fact, we see the whole story of the gospel, gospel message in the posture of these two men. One rested in righteousness and the other one tried to deserve it. 
You can't deserve it. You just need to rest in what's been given to you. I think we forget sometimes, and here's what rest will do to you. You will rediscover that you are not a human doing. You are a human being. And that you weren't meant to carry it all, do it all, do it 24 hours a day. Like you need to rest, rest. And what's crazy about these, these guys, both of them go on to fail Jesus royally. Like John as well. John failed Jesus in the garden. He said, hey, you guys can't even pray with me. And, and Jesus was having his, 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 one of his darkest nights and he was so, you know, felt the pressure of the moment that he started sweating drops of blood and nobody would stay up with him. He failed him as well. Yet there was something about the assurance in John's heart that seemed to lead him back to Jesus because it was only John, by the way, who showed up at the cross in Jesus's final moments to be with him. John rested in the righteousness of Jesus. Peter just tried to be good enough, good enough, get it done, and he became a casualty of condemnation, buying the lies of the enemy, that he's too broken. Why would God want to use him? Why, how could Jesus ever love him again after what he has done? I wonder if anybody else has felt that way that you've fallen too far from God to be used by him. Well, I've got good news for Peter, and I've got good news for you. It's never been about you. It hasn't been about you. It's about his righteousness and resting in his righteousness. His righteousness saves you, not your own. And in fact, I've been praying all week long that you would be convicted, convicted by something, not by sin, because sometimes, let's be honest, that's easy, isn't it? Be convicted by sin. Yeah, God, I know that I should not do that. I know I'm missing it here. But I've been convicted, Christian, that you would be convicted by your righteousness in Christ. That you already have that in him. So stop trying to perform. Stop trying to do. And just rest in his righteousness. Because when you do, you are putting yourself in a position that that you start living out of the righteousness that you already have in Christ. And you're not trying to live out of your own. So it's one of the ways that we attack our heart. So we're gonna, instead of having a heart attack, making sure our hearts continue to be a wellspring of life, we have to despise what destroys us, search what's inside of you, like re reframe those things that we revere and then rest in his righteousness and you'll discover there is no limit to what God can do through a healthy heart that belongs and beats for him, and I got one more. Come on out, band, and help me. Because ultimately, here's why this matters. If he said it, if we can live this way, if we can have a full life, a better life, then we can take him at his word. Thinking about this, this night that Jesus uh, went to the cross, and then three days later, he, he rose again from the grave. Do you know that on three separate occasions, in God's word, at least three, he told his disciples what was gonna happen. Three different times. He said, guys, this is what's gonna happen. I'm gonna go to Jerusalem. They're gonna put me on trial. They're gonna crucify me, put me in the grave, and I am going to be raised to life again. Three different times, right? And, and as, as, as it awesome as it was that John made it to the cross in his final moments when Jesus was crucified, do you know how many of these guys made it to the tomb waiting for him to come back to life? Zero. Zero of 12, zero of 12. And I sit here and I think, man, if I really believed that what he said was going to happen, 
Like, there's nothing I wouldn't do to miss that moment. Sometimes I think it's nuts that nobody was waiting there at the tomb. I'm thinking, like, if he told me he was coming back to life, there is no way I'm about to miss the greatest event in the history of the world. I'm going to camp out there, and I hate camping. I'm going to, I'm going to pound Red Bulls. I'm going to drink coffee. I'm going to take my eyelids open. I'm going to do whatever I can because I am not missing that stone being rolled away and seeing Jesus walk out of the tomb. And I'm not trying to knock on these guys because chances are I'd be right there with them. But you know what they did? They went back to fishing instead of witnessing the greatest event in the history of the world. My point is this, if you truly want to experience the limitless ways God can move in and through your life, it starts with taking him at his word. Because if he said it, you can take it to the bank. And he said, there's nowhere you can go. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You're not too far away from, from my love because what does he do? He comes out of the tomb and one of the first things he does, he goes to the shore of the sea where these guys are fishing again. And Peter recognizes him on the shore, jumps out of the boat, runs up to the beach and they have breakfast together on the beach. And at this breakfast on the beach, Jesus reinstates him says, Peter, do you love me? He says, of course, I love you. He says, then feed my sheep. Translation, hey, let's go do this thing. Let's get after it. Let's go, let's go start the church. And what came out of one man's heart that was changed, like, is nothing short of miraculous. Because one person in that moment was the catalyst to change the entire world. Colby, how do, you, how do you know? Here's how I know. Look right now to your right. Look to your right. And look to your left. You are sitting where you are sitting by that person because 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world, like someone's heart was changed. And they realized there was nowhere they could go that was too far from the love and the grace and the mercy of God. And then Peter from that moment he began this spark that just caught fire, a blazing fire known as a local church. And he stood up on the, the opening day of church and thousands of people came to know Jesus because of one changed heart. And I just feel like in this season, it's not suggested of us, but it's expected of us that we would take God at his word and dive in and say, all right, God, if your word says it, I'm going to believe it. And that's why I believe that in 2024, Man, if we pray bold prayers, big prayers, we will see miracles. We will see God move in unbelievable ways, but it starts with a changed you. It starts with a changed heart. So God, search us, seek us, test us. Let's do this. Would you stand to your feet? I wanna pray and then we're gonna worship Heavenly Father. We don't want to repeat all the ways perhaps that we fell short or failed last year. But we want to move forward, God, and we want to create spaces in our homes and in our work and in our schools and community that glorify you, that make a difference for you and the world around us, but we know that begins with us. And so, God, we want to make ready our hearts and our lives for you to move 
in limitless ways. We take you at your word. God, we believe that that there's nothing that you can't do through a heart that beats for you, that belongs to you. So I pray right now, God, that you would convict us, those of us that are followers of Jesus, of the righteousness that we already have in you. And we're not trying to perform. We are just trying to walk in lockstep with you this year. And for some of us, we need to absolutely begin to despise those things that are holding us back. For some of us, we need to reframe the things that we have have revered, the things that we celebrate and hold in high esteem, and they're not the things of you. For some of us, we need to repent of wanting influence and power and simply want integrity and character that comes from a heart that beats for you. Whatever it is, I pray, God, that this right now would begin a great move of you in our hearts and in our lives and therefore in turn to the world around us. As we're praying right now, maybe you have never surrendered your heart to Christ. I want to pray for you and lead you in a prayer that does that. And I'm going to help you with some language. The way we have a new heart, create a new heart within us, God. It says if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe that's why you're in the room. Maybe that's why you're watching online or in overflow because you know God has brought you to this moment to say, God, I'm giving you my heart because God gave his best for you through his son on the cross. And he died in our place so you and I could be made right with him. We would not have to carry our sin or shame or guilt or our failures any longer. And the moment we confess him as Lord and believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, the Bible says we would be saved. So let me help you do that right now. You can pray this out loud. You can pray it in your heart. You simply say, Jesus, I give you my heart. Thank you for dying in my place. I'm a sinner and I needed a savior. And today I put my hope for salvation in you. Spirit, come live inside of me created me a clean heart, a new heart. Jesus, I confess you as Lord, and I believe God raised you from the dead so I could be raised to new life in Christ. In Jesus' mighty name. And God, I pray right now for those that made that decision. God, that you would fill us with your spirit, fill us with gratitude, fill us with all that you have for us in this season. God, make our hearts ready for you. And the way we do that is by worshiping you and saying how grateful we are for all that you have done for us. It's in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. We hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There will be some practical resources to help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. Thank you for living generously. We hope you enjoyed this message. Have a great week.